In the name of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier. Amen. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that perhaps one of four things happens to you during the reading of that gospel. One, you love the gospel of John, and that was great, especially the part about the voice booming down from heaven. Two, you tried to listen, but it was hard to follow what was happening as the disciples told Jesus that there were some Greeks there to see him, and then Jesus rather than going to see the Greeks, launched into a monologue about things to come and weep, having to die, to become alive again, and hating our lives. And then there was this disembodied voice. Perhaps you tried to follow, but found yourself looking down at your lectionary insert to find some clarity. Three, maybe you've been daydreaming for the past three minutes and have no idea what I'm talking about. It's okay. Or four, you got stuck on those Greeks and wonder how long they're going to be standing there waiting for Jesus before he acknowledges their presence. Where I get stuck. The Greeks. They're looking for Jesus and he leaves them waiting. I propose that those Greeks are more important than a first glance reveals. So New Testament scholars have divided the Gospel of John into two parts. One section is the book of signs. These are the stories that help us to see who Jesus was and the kinds of things he did. This section ends with the raising of Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. The second section is the book of glory, which includes Jesus' farewell discourse, his arrest, crucifixion, his death and resurrection. This section begins with chapter 12, with some Greeks asking Philip if they can meet Jesus. And then they wait. Today we are on the threshold between the two books. The earthly stories of Jesus' life as a human with divine powers, and the narrative of a God who loved us enough to risk everything on our behalf. A God who allowed himself to be crucified so that the whole world might have fullness of life. The waiting Greeks are important because in the lines between those two sections, something pivotal happens. The religious authorities heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead and they worried that the Romans would hear about it too and they would shut down the temple and ban Judaism. This was a real fear. Jesus was messing with an already fragile system. Everyone on the scene was trying to hold on to some semblance of power and or survival in a tenuous setting where Jews and Greeks, temple authorities, and Roman occupiers were all trying to keep up some kind of status quo. And at the center of that status quo was power and wealth for some, while most were hungry, abused, oppressed, living in fear. Jesus was pushing everyone he encountered who held any kind of power over anyone else to let go of their control and make way for a kingdom where all were respected, all were fed, all were treated as beloved. 
In other words, he was asking them to turn their entire system on its head. And they were freaking out. Especially when they noticed that seekers of Jesus were no longer just Jewish fishermen and countercultural women, but also included an occasional rogue Pharisee and curious Greeks. Jesus needed to be disposed of before he cracked the veneer and made a society built on inequality fall apart. Now, when the Greeks came knocking on the door of a subversive Jewish rabbi, norms cracked. When we cross the aisle from one side of any divisive dichotomy to another, when we get respectfully curious about another point of view or another group of people, Jesus wins. And those who would keep us divided, those who hold abusive human power, get scared. That's what the Greeks, waiting for Jesus, were doing, crossing an aisle, risking everything, altering the course of humanity. So what are we doing? On our own threshold, between Lent when we get to know Jesus better, and Holy Week when we walk to the cross with him, what are we doing During Lent, we sit at the feet of a great teacher as we are invited into deeper relationship with Christ through the study of Scripture, through prayer practices. And today, because of the Greeks at the door, we step into Jesus' inner room and we hear how very much he loves us. A voice from heaven confirms this. And the great teacher moves from being a great teacher to being our beloved, God who came to be with us and suffer with us and love us right here. You see, we see more clearly in Lent what he did, and we see that he's still doing it, still breaking down our walls, still dying for us, still pushing us into the kingdom, still loving us beyond imagination, And today we decide how to respond to that great gift. Will we merely move from Sunday to Sunday, from Lent to Palm Sunday to Easter? And will we take the light and hope of the resurrection and let it buoy our own spirits? It's not a bad option. For some, it's as far as we are able to go right now. But there is a bigger option, and it's the one I invite you to explore, just as I myself gain the courage and stamina that it will take. We could respond to Jesus' revelation of how big his love for us is by truly accompanying him. Starting a week from now, we could enter Jerusalem with Jesus on Palm Sunday and bravely hear the narrative of his passion. We can pray with him and with each other throughout Holy Week, hearing the voices of the women in his life on Tuesday nights, sitting in the darkness, listening to chanted prayer on Wednesday, 
washing each other's feet and partaking of the Last Supper on Thursday, keeping watch Thursday night through Friday morning in the chapel, and then sitting with the disciples and Mary at the foot of the cross at noon on Good Friday, and then staying in prayer through the hours of Christ's crucifixion. After that, in two weeks, We are invited to light the new fire of the Easter Vigil. We sit around that fire every year, hearing the stories of our spiritual ancestors and their quest for covenant and relationship with God. And when the stories have been heard, we ring bells as the revelation of the resurrection is brought to us and the lights come back on. So the question is this. Will we take that journey? Right now, we are Greeks standing on a threshold. We have shown up this Lent. In a world where Christianity has become increasingly countercultural, we have sought Jesus anyway. And now we wait. As the waiting draws to an end, we could turn and go back to our old ways, as if this didn't happen. That would be easier. Or we could keep our eyes on the horizon, awaiting the full revelation of a God who turns everything on its head for the sake of unfathomable glory. The glory of truly earth-shattering, unifying, life-saving, risk-taking, status quo-breaking, aisle-crossing, patient, kind, fiercely inclusive love. Love.